podcast by artists for artists we talk cash shit about everything sometimes we get messy and it all counts as art because we say so i'm mel i'm black and a woman and an artist especially during the months of february and march i suppose this week i'm a tiny house realtor i sell discount gas behind the 7-eleven and next week i'm giving a ted talk entitled lighting up the gas lighters how to give it back with interest <laughs> hello dear listeners maximiliano here Many times a muse, a mirage, a half-remembered dream, a fading memory, and welcome back. How to support NTP. You can support Nat Turner Project by becoming a patron. Check out our Patreon for our exclusive Book of Sedition zines, our explicit Behind the Paywall podcast, where we get extra messy. Um, shop our Etsy, which is full of totes, buttons, and various NTP publications, including the Black Abbey zine publication, residency book, paper, work, um, tome, <laughs> about the Black Abbey artist residency. Shout out Sharia Town. Find us on iTunes and all streaming platforms. Um, all you have to do is type in who all going to be there. Leave a review and send comments, questions to Nat Turner Project zero at gmail.com all right thank you everyone for joining us once again today we are really really hyped about speaking with a prolific voice here in oregon someone who's been referenced in a past podcast episode so we're bringing it full circle bruce poinsett bruce how are you i'm doing good today thank you thank you max melanie for having me on and yeah i've i've got uh like i said off off mic, I've got some words for uh, Mr. Donovan Scribes. Don't think I haven't got <laughs> call, calling me out on a podcast like a year ago. <laughs> but no, no, no. I'm again happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to get you know all sauced and tossed, no wing stop, and 
you know, just talk black art shit. So. Yes, and that is what we do. Um, for those who don't know, Bruce Poinsett is a writer, educator, and community organizer whose work is primarily based in the Portland metro area. He hosts the Blacktastic Adventure, a virtual exploration of Oregon's Black diaspora, and the Bruce Poinsett Show on the Numbers FM. A former reporter for the Scanner News Group, his work has also appeared in the Oregonian, Street Roots, Oregon Humanities, and We Out Here magazine, as well as projects such as the Mercatus, am I saying that right? Uh, Mercatus. Mercatus Collective and the Urban League of Portland's State of Black Oregon 2015. Poinsett also contracts, contracts with the University of Oregon Equity and Inclusion Office and numerous Oregon nonprofits, as well as teaches journalism and creative nonfiction, literary arts writers in the schools, WITS program. In addition to his professional writing work, Poinsett is also an organizer with Respond to Racism LO, a grassroots anti-racism organization in his hometown of Lake Oswego, Oregon. Well, again, thank you for joining us. Thanks for saying yes. Um, our first question is a question we've been asking now for going on year three. Um, how are you doing? How are you coping with all of the things? No, I'm trying to trying to get through like everyone. Um, relatively speaking, I guess I'm doing doing well. You know, I've got February. Well, actually, it's March right now. I should say, <laughs> but uh, you know that February period, especially, is uh, it's just you know a busy time for Black artists. That's when everyone's like, "Hey, we want our can you come and give your racist talk or your racism talk? Can you uh, you know explain the ABCs of bias to us?" And so, on one hand, you know, you get all those opportunities, but also we live in Oregon, like the money of white women makes a lot of things flow. And that, I know I'm not exempt from that. So, you know, we do what we can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, though, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm, uh, well, in a better, just in a better comfortable place than I've been in the while. So, you know, like it's still a pandemic. It's still everything else out there. You know, we have, uh, I mean, people are talking about World War Three because it's white on white violence out there. But, you know, we're in the midst of all of that. But all things considered, I would say I'm actually doing good. Opportunities are coming out there. I'm able to uh, able to do things like with us, like with other black people. Yeah. And just various different communities that, you know, I didn't really have the opportunity to do even a few years ago. So like, I genuinely feel good about that in the midst of everything else. Nice. Um, so you mentioned um, you're doing all the racism talks. Are you, I'm assuming you're getting paid well for those, right? I'm hoping. Yeah, I'm, I'm better navigating my prices. I'm, I want to be clear, I'm getting paid. Okay. Making sure I'm, you know, make sure one, I'm getting paid, making sure people respect my rates, but then also making sure when I do events with other people, you know, speaking of plugs, I got a conversation called Black News Future Part 3 panel coming up uh, March 19th. Uh, this might be out before that, uh, or this may come out after that happens, but, you know, 
it's one of the things where I uh, make sure not just that, you know, again, that people respect my rates, but, you know, when I'm bringing other people on, when I'm, you know, partnering with organizations, in this case, University of Oregon, making sure, you know, the panelists get compensated for their time and their expertise. Mm -hmm. Make sure, you know, again, everyone's like, pay Black people. I, I try to, wherever I can, make sure, you know, we actually do that. Yeah. And when organizations want to, you know, be a part of this work, support this work, like, that's where, you know, want the money to go, make sure people are getting, again, paid for their time and expertise. So, yeah, Black News Future Part 3, I'm plugging it as if, you know, this is going to come out tomorrow. But, you know, it's still happening, featuring Candace Avalos, uh, Senator Akasha Lawrence Spence, yeah. and, wow, now I'm just blanking on my own own program but uh went to Johannes from uh Alpine Vision Trust so you know looking forward to that people uh check that out okay well you you do a lot of things as your bio indicates and we'll, we'll get into some of those things later but I do have to ask like what do you do for fun how do you like you know kick back and relax in the midst of all of this yeah so first part of that is that I definitely don't do enough like my uh I have work on my work-life balance right now but uh yeah in in better days I, I took more walks I did a lot more just playing basketball um these days as far as like relaxing you know watch binge watch all kinds of shows usually somewhere in the realm of like science fiction to drug dealer TV. Like it's really, it's really my sweet spot, but, um, or just, I guess I watch you for you too. So just drugs TV. Um, uh, let's see, what, what else do I do? You know, I, um, yeah, just, I don't know, just engaging, uh, partaking in the arts in a variety of ways, usually things that uh, make me laugh a little bit, talk about things that, you know, I feel like I can relate to. Yeah. But keep it, I don't say like keep it light, because it's not, but, you know, yeah, and things that just uh, kind of like touch on all those different parts of you, whether it's like the serious, but then also are able to have some levity about this because I was a uh, not to trail off but I was telling someone you know I'll, I'll never be a stand-up because I don't have that skill set but in a world where I was I just I just want to do like a tight five minutes where I really just like explore what it would actually take to make the revolution we talk about possible and just like how you know how dire the situation is because it's actually like when you realize like what we're up against and like, you know, yeah, you just look at the plight and like the idea of what, what would it take to make black liberation a reality, which to get me to be clear, fight for, but what that like practical uh, obstacles are, it's super depressing, but also hilarious, like <laughs> hilariously depressing. So yeah, just like, just the tight five minutes of just like actually itemizing <laughs> where we are so yeah I I forgot the actual question but 
<laughs> Excuse me. Oh yeah, well, what do I do for fun? I I think <laughs> And somehow we end up back in dystopia. <laughs> yeah, I have just very dystopian thoughts. <laughs> I find a way to smile about them and be very depressed at the same time. As you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that leads me to um, a question I have based on what you just said. Like, do you, do you like daydream? Like, do your daydreams come out as you, as like a stand-up comic where you're like working through things or like thinking about ideas, but you're like, doing it on stage with a microphone. Yeah, so I, I don't know if I would say I, I daydream about being a stand-up comic as much as I just daydream. Yeah, just sort of about these ideas, about, um, you know, different, I have like a million different project ideas that I just, you know, annoy those in proximity to me with just all the time. So one day it could be like a stand-up, day it could be a movie, a lot of it is just like bad nonprofit ideas, you know. <laughs> but no, I, I do think about this stuff all the time of just like uh even I guess in a more not so great way, like and I'm actually working on a script for this for uh again, not to keep like plugging stuff I do, but just <laughs> for a thing we do on the Bruce Points that show, just like like a grifter for a day. Like, what if I just embrace the lack of scruples and shamelessness I see around Portland and just really just jumped into it and was like, like this, this white zombie market is hot. Why? <laughs> what is the point of morals? What, what, what is the point? Like, so some days I just like, I think about like, what if I just like leaned into it? Just like, yes. Hi, I am Bruce Poinsett. I am your personal black revolutionary friend do you remember that time we marched three years ago well <laughs> it's the fourth of the month and it is time to give reparations to me like like <laughs> but then i go back to doing what i actually do in real life and it's it's a lot less profitable <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know why i keep doing that <laughs> Um, so you grew up in Lake Oswego, um, and as someone who has only been in Portland for, well, now seven years, I guess, pretty new, um, one of the first places I heard about when I got here was Lake Os Oswego, so it comes with, like, this history and this background, so what was it like for you growing up there? Yeah, so, you know, when people hear about Lake Oswego, the first thing is the nickname, Lake yeah. No Negro, Oregon, right? And it's funny, like, of all the, I do this anti-racism work in LO, and of all the things that really, like, you know, get the white people's attention and, you know, spur on that, uh, that spirit, like, we have to make change. It's not like the plight of, like, Black people or, you know, other groups of color, like, you know, oh my goodness, this horrible thing happened in school, this horrible racist incident, or it happened at the football game, or, you know, the SRO arrested a kid in school in front of all his peers. No, 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 it's not none of that. True story, by the way. But, um, no, it's just saying Lake No Negro. Like, <laughs> the fact that that nickname exists 
it horrifies white people. It is like, if I ever want to just like, I need to get people's attention. I need to, I need to spur on some action. Forget like helping people. If I can convince you that one day we will move past this nickname, that we will transcend this, that we will transform Lake Oswego so that you will not have to hear Lake No Negro anymore. White people love that shit. Like, it is wild, but it's a well-earned nickname. Again, like, I don't know the, I don't know the population data off the top of my head, but, you know, there are black people in Lake Oswego, but it's, no, it's not a lot of us. Like, um, I said my graduating class is like, what, four, five of us, maybe, you know, and it's like I play basketball, so, you know, it's no secret that, you know, they concentrate a lot of those efforts on, you know, kids who play sports. So, whether it's like you play basketball, you play football, you play soccer or something, like, that's where a lot of the attention is going to go. It was actually, it wasn't even a Black person that said this, but, uh, like, a former, uh, like, I guess, summer basketball teammate of mine, guy, uh, Troy Douglas, actually owns Cultural Blends and uh, Back to the Basket, two shops in Portland, but... I was interviewing him for some project and he was just talking about how like even like the anti-blackness in LO is like um it's like scaffolded so like if you like is there for everyone but like at least if you play sports there's like some level of like social capital you get and I could definitely like as I reflect on it you know it's very true but like if you're outside of that it's just like in addition to like the invisibility it's just like you get all the shit at least at least with sports it's like oh well we play games on you know tuesdays and fridays so people cheer for us then Woo! (laughs) and then you go back to being black and isolated and you know everyone it's just i i feel like it also though made me like a uh a great like Caucasian anthropologist, if you will. <laughs> like, I just, you know, everyone does that whole thing about why do you bring up race so much? And it's like, I grew up with you. Like you bring up race so much. You like in every, in the smallest, most minute ways where, you know, like being English and like, there'll be no context or anything for it. Like, or no, like, racial context for it but just be like reading a book and like the word monkey will appear and like three kids in the class will just turn and look at you and be like this is weird and specific okay <laughs> you know but it's just stuff like that where you know people walking around being like oh my goodness i i didn't know you talked like that what <laughs> like i got what where does that come where do you come you know but it's just dealing with that again, just like all the time. So, you know, I, I grew up pretty isolated and it, you know, socially sucked. Like I'm, you know, every day, cause just for the you know sake of business, you got to interact with people. Right. But, you know, so I already knew like I was socially awkward, but like, I just realized like how socially awkward and stunted I am even more so every day. But the flip side of that, of course, is that, like, the reason 
I'm so passionate about writing and why it's the foundation of my work is because being isolated, I spent a lot of time reading and writing. That's how I, you know, express myself. That's how I processed a lot of information. That's how I kind of like found, you know, some kind of like creative niche. And, you know, it turned into a professional skill. It turned into something that, you know, I could use as a tool to not just, again, not just to make money, but to like network with people, to build relationships, to do a lot of the stuff I'm doing today. So the short answer to like, what was it like growing up in Lake Oswego? Super lonely, but, you know, in a way it gives me, you know, that's my black story. Oh, like, cause I, cause, yeah, yeah, cause you know, another thing I'm sure you all are familiar with, it's like, you know, Portland is very big on, you know, um, it's really exploiting the different divisions and, between or divisions or just like even just like identities or backstories of black people and just like having us all find some way to like hate each other for whatever it is so you know if I'm from I'm from LA I've been LA all my life so it's like I didn't fit in in Portland either mm -hmm. especially like Portland's black community either and you know there'd be a while where just you know I think what a lot of people do, you know, if they grow up in the suburbs of some big city that everyone knows, when people ask you, like, where are you from? Or you know, where'd you grow up? You'll be like, oh, yeah, Portland or something. And because, again, Portland is very, very clicky and uh, petty at times. It was <laughs> like, you, you can't do that being from LO, especially. Like, you can't really do that being from Tigard. But, like, if you're from LO, you definitely can't get away with that so I'd have people remind me you know like Bruce no, no, no you're from Lake Oswego you're from Lake Negro. so I, I learned early on just to like no you got to like embrace that embrace your unique black story if you will or whatever and for what it's worth it's actually been kind of helpful just in terms of especially like doing some of this anti-racism work doing some of this uh, community work in you know other suburbs or other rural areas in Oregon where you know the dynamics are very similar to LO mm -hmm. like that helps me be more authentic and connect more especially with young people in like similar positions I was in because I'm not going up there and you know lying about where I'm from or I'm not you know doing this like I'm telling a story of like yeah I was you or I was in this position I also bring in like I'm not gonna lie about these privileges that came with me because growing up in LO, like obviously, you know, everyone wants me to talk about all the bad parts and there are plenty. And, you know, but you also, yeah, being in proximity to power and privilege has like those parts, like the stuff, you know, you graduate from LO high, it looks good on the resume applying for colleges. You know, people see that stuff and it works somewhat in your favor anyway and as far as like jobs and stuff so like I like to you know acknowledge and really like at least really be able to discuss the full picture be able to like hold two thoughts or three thoughts at the same time be like yes this exists this also exists these all work together and you know if we want to get into like the history of you know white flight and freeways and all that we can get into that too because we're also all connected and 
yeah long there's a longer rant there but we can we can move on <laughs> so is that your like reasoning for wanting to like go back to your hometown and do that work is like a kind of like embracing where you're from or was there like also other reasons that made you like want to go back and do the work right so I, I would love to say it just came from this you know altruistic moral place of you know the reality is my mother willie points at a person uh liberty miller started this group respond to racism lo in 2017 and you know it's kind of like started from you know an, a debate argument on next door you know the uh, social media uh, neighborhood watch app basically anyways they started this group they have their first meeting and like the two of them show up and then they do it again and try and like invite the community and you know you think oh my mom is doing this event well you jumped on right then right bruce no like even with my mother i was like yeah i still don't want to go in a room and talk about racism to white people like it, that that doesn't no, no, I'm good. I'm good. But, you know, they they drew in like 60 people, you know, got it profiled in the local paper, all that. And I jumped on the bandwagon after that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, might as well be honest. Like, I, I feel like one of my, you know, people always ask you, like, what are your superpowers? I'm like, I'm a terrible liar. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's one, it saves me time. Two, <laughs> It can be endearing to some people, so I just take it. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, yeah. So I came on after like the what third, the third meeting, and you know they're meeting at LOUCC, and you know they're just bringing in again like community who's you know interested in these conversations. And when they first started, they would like break it up into like these. Uh, yeah, they have these breakout groups. It'd be like learning action dialogue, right? You know, learning group would do something kind of more structured, some kind of like anti-racism history, critical race theory type lesson. Action would be talking about, you know, like here, we're going to try and do this thing, like, you know, write to this council person or here's this thing on the, you know, on the agenda right now that we got to focus on. And dialogue was just kind of, I don't want to call it a free-for-all, but it was more so just like, yeah, we're going around the circle talking. And so I would just go to dialogue and just let it out. I was like, I'm I'm here. I don't, I still don't really want to be here, but we want to support my mom. I do want to, you know, people are here, there's an audience and whatever. So I'm just gonna go here and you know say the thing and like early on in those days, I kind of like built this reputation. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, Bruce, Bruce is the one that says the, says the thing. Oh no, you know, just say stuff that is not even like particularly controversial to me. But, you know, again, I have to recognize the audience is like older white people in Lake Oswego. So mm. it's different, but, you know, say something like, oh my goodness, you know, they used to do lynchings back in the day and you had these, you see these postcards of people and the picnic and everything. And now we just like, we watch this on, you know, Twitter or IG or stuff and like just police killing murder videos, but it's the same thing. 
again, I don't, I don't find that to be a particularly groundbreaking thought or anything like it's not, but then I have to remember the audience. So when I say that, they're like, oh, so it's like, so it's just like stuff like that. But what I also found is that, you know, there are like a smattering of black, brown people that would show up and it almost like, I don't want to use the term virtual sick or virtue signaling, but it's kind of like that where, you know, you're basically going in there saying the things or whatever and then seeing how many like black and brown people you can fish out of this mostly white crowd who are like yeah you're huh yeah i feel that way i'm i'm frustrated too or you know i have apprehensions about this space too but like i want to do something and i want to connect with other people in the community and i haven't really had a space to connect with other people in the community so it's this weird like roundabout way of building community in this anti-racism space. And so that kind of like got me more into doing the work of just saying, okay, you know, there's a weird dynamic where, cause it's not like this is like the first community building effort in Lake Oswego or anything like that, but there's a lot of people, I'm just being real about it. Like they need to see that large white audience and that validity of it being featured in the LO review before there's a lot of black, black and brown people in the community who need to see that before they take it seriously. And it's like, I'm not a fan of that, but I get it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so again, you, you navigate that, you work that, and, you know, it's, it's sustained. Like, we're still getting, you know, 80, 90, 100 people on these monthly Zoom calls in these meetings. So, you know, we're finally able to, like, get grants and support to, you know, do work, do conversations, continue, you know, building, trying to, you know, do various different things, whether it's, you know, being on the police, being in schools, um, not being on the police, like police officers, but like, <laughs> actually, like, I, I realize I should clarify that, like, actually, like, <laughs> you know, holding the police accountable, keeping an eye on that, you know, trying to push these community policing conversations is a longer discussion in that but you know trying to like there's no shortage of areas again in a place called like no negro where work needs to be done but like slowly but surely we're you know making a presence all over and you know i have this vision of uh you know we started we started making t-shirts and it's like I had this vision like, oh, one day you're just going to walk around LO and you're just going to see like all these Black Respond t-shirts everywhere and it's going to feel like this weird like gang in the suburbs, but for like positive or something. Again, you know, you talk about daydreaming. My mind's just like, oh my goodness, we're going to see the Black shirts everywhere. We're going to take over the town. You know, I don't don't know what that's going to accomplish, but (laughs) (laughs) It, it looks good in my mind. I don't know. <laughs> Talking about like your mom being like one of the people that started this organization, like do you come from like a lineage of organizing? Yeah, yeah. So you know, my uh as the biggest name in there, like the point set family is like my mom was basically like adopted twice. So like she has that family history, but also there's you know gaps in that family history. But like on my dad's side, the points that so my cousin 
late cousin Septima points at Clark, who's actually known as the queen mother of the civil rights movement. And, you know, she was big on uh, one, just getting people like back when they're doing, you know, all the like poll taxes to stop black people from voting, basically like getting people registered to vote, getting people, you know, at the time where you still had to get people prepared to do these ridiculous poll taxes, like organizing to, you know, get people to um, pass that and getting people into the voter force. Uh, so she did a lot of organizing around that. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side also, uh, also was part of building the first black hospital in uh, South Carolina. So, you know, my parents have always been big on making sure I'm aware of that history and just in, you know, they've been around various different areas, both like they're from the East Coast, you know, dad's side, South Carolina. Mom was also born in South Carolina, moved to New Jersey in her teens. And, uh, you know, she was in education. So like she was, when she moved to Portland after she married my dad in 86, um, you know, she was worked in Portland public schools and for like 30 30 including like she retired but you know she does the thing that a lot of educators do when they retire which is not actually retire so I swear it's like it had to be like maybe like 40 some odd years in total in PPS you know my dad came to University of Oregon like the like late 60s and he's part of one of those early groups of like not large but larger groups of like black people kind of like I wouldn't say it's not it's been a while like decades since they officially integrated the campus but like again like it was one part part of one of those like influxes of black students back in the day so it's always uh yeah identity has always been a big part of just what or a big emphasis in you know the poinsett household when I was growing up like my parents were big collectors of black art. So just all over the house, you've got, you know, all kinds of like African sculptures and masks. You've got these uh, posters, portraits of uh, specifically the ones I remember the most were like Malcolm Martin, Harriet Tubman and see them all the time, you know, just walking in. And yeah, like even before I like to think about like when I was a little kid when we do like book reports in class and Back then, you'd be in like second grade, again, in this white school where all you want to do is just like stop having people like, like stop being so hyper visible, stop having people just like, let me tell you this black thing about yourself or whatever from my second grade white mind. You can fill in the blanks <laughs> there. So, you know, I would be, you know, my parents would always insist you have to do the black books, the black books. And I'll, I'll admit, like, I wasn't, I didn't want to at the time. Cause again, like I was just thinking about hyper visibility and like, I just want to blend in. I just want people to stop. Now in retrospect, I'm like, thank God they did, you know, thank God they pushed that. But yeah, I, I say all, all that to say that throughout my life, like there's a through line of, you know, don't ever lose sight. Don't ever lose pride in your blackness you know and also 
do what you can, you know, especially like being in a place like LO where you're kind of like isolated, like, yeah, you're, sometimes you're gonna have to go out of your way to, you know, build community and, you know, use some of these privileges that you have access to, to support others, but you do that. Like, it's not a question <laughs> of whether or not you do that. You just, that's what we do. So yeah, that's always kind of been a part of the approach. And it was something I started more embracing, I guess, maybe like in middle school, but it's always, always been in the atmosphere. Uh, tell us about the Blacktastic Adventure. When did you start that? Yes, yes. So Blacktastic Adventure is a web series where I interview Black people from throughout the state on, you know, different, just, I mean, they're Black stories, feels very vague to say, but, you know, interviewed artists, activists, politicians, business people, educators, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, we do it on, you know, the season one started in December 2020. Okay. Yeah, because it was a product of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I like to, again, sort of like showcase, I think, especially if you're outside of Oregon, it's the Black story of Oregon is very Portland-centric. It's like Portland and the Ducks. I know, like, just an aside, I know a lot of people, uh, when we talk about, especially like the sports and like college rivalry stuff, it's like, why are you, it's the one thing, like, it's irrational, but I hang on to it. Like, I know the Oregon State Beavers exist and all that, but like, and there are black people there, but I'm just, I'm still <laughs> hateful. Like I, I went to U of O, I graduated in 2011 and I understand like, you know, cause even in Lake Oswego, I went to Lake Oswego High School, the rival was like Lake Ridge. I, I don't care about that shit at all. But for some reason, I, I will hold on to that just like irrational hatred of Oregon State like forever. I don't know why. <laughs> Anyways, so yeah, when people think about Oregon, they think of like Portland, or when they think about Black people in Oregon, they think of Portland and the Ducks. And I just wanted to, you know, highlight more stories. I, got, I had the pleasure of being part of this project, State of Black Oregon, 2015 with the Urban League, where I worked with Intzar Abioto, who you've had on the show, you know, award-winning photographer, just amazing person and we got to travel around the state you know go to Astoria go to Pendleton go down to like Medford and Bend and all these different places and just like do interviews on like case studies of black life oh wow in all these different places and you know one of the things that kind of came from that was just like like we've talked ever since about just like all the stuff we kind of like left on the cutting room floor, floor, basically. Like all these stories that, you know, just cause they didn't really, like, you know, it was for this report for the Urban League. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we cover, but there's also just a lot of stuff that, you know, didn't have the space or just didn't fit into what needed, what they were trying to do. And a joke that at the time that was like, you know, we gotta call this like Bruce and Cesar's Blacktastic Adventure, but, you know, just kind of like kept that idea going, kept that idea going. And then this opportunity, well, 
don't say opportunity, but like pandemic kind of came around and it's just like, you know what? Why don't we just do this? Or let's just say we want us to do these interviews, you know? And yeah, it's just like, it was, I like this black plastic name, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's obviously like this riff off of like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, whatever, but, you know, just like keep that going. And yeah, just started doing it. And I was like, didn't really have an idea as far as like seasons and like what it's going to look like other than just interview people and share, like there's no shortage of just black stories around here. I can keep doing this for however long. And I like talking to people. Again, it's an opportunity to just like use this interview platform to make connections and network as well. So like a lot of the people I talk to are people I have established relationships with, but some people, you know, uh, especially like I did a real emphasis with season one on like Southern Oregon. So a lot of those interviews was like, that's me meeting those people or reaching out to those people just because like, I, you know, I, I do some asking around of people in my network of like, who would you like to see interviews with? Who would you like to, you know, learn more about? Who should I, you know, feature on this thing? You know, I got this name of uh, this woman, Bashir Muhammad, a uh, mushroom farmer in uh, Central Point you know southern oregon it's like yes yes i do want to learn more about someone killing it mushroom farming in southern oregon let's make that happen so you know you reach out you know and what's wild about it and this is kind of like i feel like this is a commentary on just anti-blackness in oregon and like just the culture around it is so many people are like surprised that you know it's like oh you're interested in me like who am i like this, like we just have this sense of like, why would anyone be interested in this thing I'm doing? Because we don't, you know, just a lot of black stuff that happens here just is like ignored or downplayed unless it like fits a certain, like, I want to say, I feel like the word agenda gets thrown around way too much, but like, unless it fits, you know, some like white organization's agenda or what they do. So, yeah, like I said, like people are be surprised that you know someone else and another black person in particular is interested in their story and wants to cover it. And it's wild to me, but at the same time, it's like, okay, yeah, that's why I do this because you know validation only goes for so much. But if that you know, even if that is like serving people in a way that's actually like meaningful then yeah like if i can help in a small way and just like you know pumping up the good work you're already doing and feeling confident about the good work you're already doing then cool that that helps so yeah we did we got through with season one of like october last year it's like 25 episodes wow so wow that's impressive yeah, yeah. and you know again plug time you can find it all on youtube.com slash brucepointset if you want bonus footage, because the other thing we do with it is, in addition to the stuff we put out for the people, we also record sort of like bonus extended clips and put that on patreon.com slash brucepointset. So, you know, come a member, get access to that, get uh, fun things like myself and uh, Walida and Marisha having a debate about Star Trek versus Star Wars. Oh, that's awesome. I lost. Miserably. I would imagine so. Yes. Yes. I, I took the 
I took the uh, position of Star Wars and yeah, she just slapped me around. But what kind of came out of it is because I was like, okay, you know, you know, you you like to like pivot sometimes when you, you realize you're losing in real time. So I was like, yeah, okay, okay, fine. Your your points about like the actual significance and the substance and the execution are are valid. But what about the Empire Strikes Back? Like, I'm just saying, well, what have you really got on the Empire Strikes Back? But it's like, well, what about Deep Space Nine? I was like, you know, I vaguely remember. I vaguely remember it as a kid, but I didn't really watch it like that. So long story short, I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm, I'm just going to binge DS9. And I did that like earlier this year. And there's a whole, I know there's a question later on about like, what have you been watching? And it may or may not have like rearranged my life in a little bit of ways. <laughs> so in addition to losing the debate in real time, like months afterwards, I realized like I lost it actually much more. But anyways, get <laughs> back to the back to the sales pitch. You I s- see Max struggling not to like throw in his opinion about this. Wait, just, wait, please, please do. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was so anything. Um so are you saying because I've I've never really been into Star Trek, but I am familiar with Star Wars. Um, I'm familiar with. Okay, sure. <laughs> we'll play so you're saying like Deep Space Nine is supposed to be like the darkest of the Star Trek shows? I I can't comment on that because I haven't watched this. Like I haven't watched Next Generation in a long oh, time, okay. and I I have to still like catch up on the other but, series. It might be, but it's more so just like uh, the way it explores things like you know the idea of like what happens after a revolution right like like really like getting into just like a lot of like it's easy to make the geopolitical comparisons when you look at like some of the characters and whatnot but like the way it explores it is just like it's hard to explain it's just besides being like it's very good it's very in-depth and like it's still very star trekky and can be like they have their episodes where it's just like really goofy and you're like, yeah, yeah, that would happen if you have to do a show with like 26 or however many episodes that mm-hmm. are an hour long in a season. You're just going to have random like, this is full Ocean's Eleven. Why are we doing it? <laughs> like, no point in, this. In, in Deep Space Nine is the one where they're on the space station. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But like, I, I would highly recommend it though. And just like, it actually inspired Again, sorry for the plugs, but it inspired a segment on the Bruce Point Set show called Hotep or Ferengi, where it's just like basically like take, you know, Hotepian moments in pop culture and compare them to the rules of acquisition of the Ferengi, which uh, just to explain for people who aren't like Star Trek people like that, uh, Ferengi are like this character where they basically like embody unfettered capitalism like it's their religion essentially and they're also wildly wildly misogynistic like just that is their their ethos is capitalism and misogyny and they have a uh yeah they have the rules of acquisition which basically like dictate you know how Ferengi society is supposed to live right 
So for the first, uh, it's unfortunate because the audio actually fucked up on this. So we might, I don't think we're actually going to be able to use it. Yeah, tragic, <laughs> tragic. But basically, like I took quotes, just an assortment of quotes from uh, Tariq Nasheed's The Art of Macking. <laughs> and then just like, I just like read the quote and then, or, or no, I have like quotes from that. And then I'd have just the rules of acquisition and my producer, Ado, like I basically, I was just like quizzing him. Like I'd read either a quote from the book or something from the rules of acquisition and be like, Hotep or Ferengi. And I didn't think like, it was one of those concepts where you feel like oh, this is gonna, this is too on the nose, right? And then, but in practice, like he went five and four. So it was like an even split. Like, I was like, oh, this worked. This worked much better than I thought it was. We might keep this. So basically like, I'm just in this space of like pre-production where I'm waiting for the next big Hotepian moment in pop culture. So I can just play this game in perpetuity. But yeah, yeah. Are the Ferengi the ones that uh, run the bar? Yes, yeah. So okay. big right. ears, big, the... you know, the lobes. The okay, lobes. Yeah. They're, they're very big on, like, when they're trying to, like, you know, just pump their chest up to other Ferengi, be like, you don't have the lobes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot. But I will say this, like, I think it's, it's the word instructive, like, Deep Space Nine really emphasizes just like these archetypes of like different, you know, the Ferengi are, you know, unfettered capitalism. Uh, the, um, why am I forgetting? Oh my goodness, why am I forgetting? What is Worf? What, what is their speech? The Klingon, right? Klingons, yes. Yeah, like that sort of like warrior culture type thing. You know, the Bajorans are, you know, the rebels or the rebels, the rebels who have like survived this occupation and resisted the entire time. Like you just have all these archetypes for the different people in like society and especially like during war and revolution. And in cases where, you know, you shouldn't be able to like coexist, right? And what they do model is this interesting idea of just, you know, how do we actually like interact with each other when we have these fundamental differences? How do we exist in this society? And it's like, it's not utopian, but it's a much interest, it's it's very interesting, like uh, just exploration of that, that don't think like it's hard to do well. And it, that show just does it in a way that, I haven't seen a lot of properties really do. I heard on the internet recently that the actor that plays Worf has been trying to get like a Worf spinoff for like ages for like a long time. And like now that like Ricard's out and all this stuff, I guess it's like the uh, the the pitch is um, he like goes back to like the Klingon Empire, but it's like supposed to be like a Star Trek, but from their perspective or something. That's the just, I just heard that on the internet recently. I, so I might have to. I say like I might have to apologize for this later. I'm not going to. But <laughs> the the nerd the 
that you play one, the fact that he got all that time as Worf on Next Generation, you know, made that part of his career. And then they brought him back for Deep Space Nine, like halfway through their seven seasons. And he got more Worf, like he got a season and a half, or not, not a series and a half of prime Star Trek TV real estate. And he's like, you know what? No, you need to bring me back for another. Se- really? Like, I on one hand, I'm like, I'm not mad at you for like, if you can do it, sure. But also like, sir, sir, like, I can't think of how many characters have had more screen time in Star Trek than Worf. How many characters like, uh, again, but I have to fight with myself and be like, again, you know what? No. Fuck all that. Get your money, Worf. If you can do it, get it. Why? Why? What is the problem with the Worf spinoff? I, I have completely changed my position. I support this. <laughs> I am not afraid to admit when I am wrong. Even when I don't have new information, I've just thought about the information I had like 10 seconds more. So go Worf. What are we doing here? <laughs> Goodness, where, where did this question start? <laughs> Talking about the Blacktastic Adventure. And so. <laughs> oh, uh, oh, yeah, but also for. also for the Blacktastic Adventure, I totally um, would have loved to see, yeah, you and Intasar in like a car driving around Oregon. Oh, my God. Reality show or as like video diaries. That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, that, totally. Oh, my goodness. That is a great. Um, it's a great segue to, I guess, something that people would consider significant. So I actually did receive a fellowship with Oregon Humanities, specifically to support the Blacktastic Adventure. So, you know, that was pretty cool. And part of my plan for that, and Intazar and I are in talks about it, for how we're going to go about it, is to do on a smaller scale, but do exactly that. So, you know, we're we're in the midst of talking about like a trip out to Eastern Oregon because one of the stories that particularly like we talk with each other about since we did that was we interviewed uh, Leon Ransom, who's, you know, a cowboy in Eastern Oregon in Pendleton. Like he, you know, was like a sports star back in high school, way back in the day. And, you know, decided to like stay out there in Pendleton and just like, yeah, he's, I don't know how to put it, just like, he's one of those people who's just like, you know, one of those personalities where you're like, oh my goodness, I, I want to learn everything about this guy, right? And we just haven't really, like the platform hasn't necessarily been there or like the opportunity hasn't been there. So now it's like, oh my goodness, we can use this moment. Let's one, let's actually like film this and let's do this again. Let's ride again. If we're going <laughs> to ride again we have to talk to Leon Ransom out in Pendleton. Like we, we must. So yeah, I'm actually really excited because one, just like getting some, uh, you know, the Patreon has been awesome in support of that, but then also, you know, to get the support of like Oregon Humanities and that platform to, you know, provide some more, uh, yeah, more backing more ability to do some more interesting things with Black Task Adventure 
is cool. And like to one of the things I'm looking to do with that is just like make some fully realized episodes. Cause right, right now it's just sort of like an interview series, right? You know, there's some light editing, but it's not, you know, there's a, there's a version of it where I, I see something more akin to like United Shades of America with W. Kamau Bell, where, you know, you get the footage of us driving around, you get all the footage of, you know, just these Oregon landscapes. Cause that was another thing that kind of like stuck with me just from state of black Oregon was as much as I, I've lived in the state my entire life, but yeah, just from like a, just like looking around and just like taking in Oregon, just like the landscape itself. You know, when you're driving down, when you're driving down the gorge, when you're driving, you know, to Southern Oregon, down I-5, you're driving down the coast and all this stuff, and you're just like taking in this, uh, this nature and all this, you know, natural beauty and whatnot that, you know, especially when I talk with people from out of state who tell me all the time we take this for granted. And, you know, that was one of the things that just kind of like drove it home, just like, oh, you know, this, this, huh. I, haven't, I haven't really stopped to just like look around and be like, wow. Huh. And there's also a whole discussion about one, it's like indigenous land that goes with that. Let's be clear. I want to leave that out while we're talking. But yeah, just like even just like taking in just some of the scenery sometimes, as well as, of course, again, highlighting these different stories, like highlighting some of the discussions that happen in between, like when you're just like when you've done an interview or even when we had, saw, I'm sorry if I'm rambling here, but like when we were in Astoria, you know, between interviews, we were just like hanging out at the library and this some white guy just like walks in like you usually people like try and be like subtle about this but no he just like kind of like walked in pulled out his camera started taking pictures of us and then just bolted out what the hell yeah 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 like <laughs> just just wild shit like that where you're like okay oh okay that yeah that happened let's let's you know so Again, I'm excited about the opportunity to cover it all and, uh, yeah, hopefully, you know, show people just, again, just like a fully realized version, like in a ideal world, you know, we do this as like a pilot or something and people are like, oh, I want to, I want to see more of that. And then, you know, we ride to Astoria again, <laughs> we ride to Bend, we, we go to, uh, what was it, Malher and, you know, the scene of, you know, before the quote-unquote inbred surrection, you know, the, uh, <laughs> what was it, the occupation of the nature reserve and all that. Just just go around all of Oregon, you know, see things, talk to people, highlight stuff that's happening, highlight weird reactions from white people, of Black people existing and just daring to be present and alive yeah. at places because <laughs> again just just to go back to that guy in Astoria like it I would say this like it's an important detail that I was uh wearing this shirt with just you know red black and green and like a you know power guy like, like, silhouette <laughs> of a power fist yeah, or whatever yeah. <laughs> as if like see he wasn't just taking a picture of us because you know we were just black and there 
he had this provocative shirt but it's like no it's a it's the shirt <laughs> anyways yeah so just like covering all of that and i think you know everyone's like insert blank here has a story to tell but like yeah i think there's a story to tell in oregon in these different places so i want to show people a better like a like i said a fully realized version and also show that again it's not just a uh i feel like a lot of stuff about this it has that uh martin luther king day from a major corporation vibe where they just give you like the somber music and like okay i'm always gonna like fall into like asides but like (laughs) again it's like a basketball fan you know there are two big days in the nba as far as like scheduling like there's christmas and there's mlk day where they just jam-pack like five games into each day nationally televised and mlk day was they don't do it as much now but they used to be like yes and come and celebrate the death of mlk with us like i'd be like what you know with this somber church music behind it it's like who wrote this ad copy like and i'm in the business of ad copy now so i i get how this is made and i'm just like you don't you don't see how this sounds this is this is weird right but yeah like a lot of stuff that covers the black experience in oregon i feel like it has that same vibe just like Let's put on this somber church music. Let's talk about, you know, what happened to the Negroes. And then we'll move on. So I just want to do something with a little bit of a different, you know, not just like an uplifting vibe to be uplifting, but just like, this is how we're living. This is, we're out here. Yes, this is happening, but also we're thriving. And also like, yeah, we do laugh at these ridiculous white people around us. Like, why, uh, again, another Sorry again for another aside, but I was at <laughs> I was at this political candidates event in uh, LO last Friday, and you know it's a, a yeah black woman running for city commissioner in Clackamas County, and you know so it's more black people at a table than a lot of people in that restaurant have probably are accustomed to. Cool, but one guy walks by our table on the way out. I was like, Hey, y'all, I'm, I'm the owner. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Whatever. And like, I realized most of the other people there, like, they're not like, I know this town. I, I know, you know, I actually know the owner of the restaurant and all that, not to be like, Hey, I'm Bruce and I'm connected, but <laughs> I do know this guy he happens to be the mayor of the town. So it's a little easier. Right. So and this guy is definitely not him. He's not part of his family. He's just a random drunk white guy. But it's just like, I'm sorry, is that coming through in the back? I, I don't know why they're doing landscaping at this time. I'm sorry. Anyway. Yeah, I don't oh, either. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Anyway, so yeah, this guy walks to the table, you know, introduces, I'm the owner. Hey everyone, hope you're having a good night. Ah, and then stumbles his way out and you know a couple of us there who actually know the guy are like yeah no that's not the owner that's just that's just a drunk white guy who apparently that was that was his reaction to seeing a lot of black people in the place at once and it was just like I, I don't know I can't create like the book for this or anything or like the guy to tell you because 
this wasn't the reaction I was expecting, but also now that we have this data point, like, I guess that's a thing where I didn't know introducing yourself as if you're the owner of the place is, I didn't know that was part of the choices, but I guess it is <laughs> duly noted. <laughs> like just, yeah, just like putting that stuff, again, putting that stuff in context and not just in the context where, you know, again, I want to just keep beating up on white women, but I know who responds to this stuff. And it's like white women who are like, oh my goodness, that's terrible. That's so sad. Are you all right? Yes. A goofy, this goofy dude walked by our table and introduced himself as the owner. I'm not harmed by this incident. I'm just, it's funny. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, but, you know, everyone's, everyone's trying their best out here to, you know, we care. We take this seriously. Please tell us what we should do. So we don't keep Sometimes walking awkwardly. <laughs> it would be better if they try over there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it maybe, would be. <laughs> maybe he, he did try it over there. Like tried, tried it out, or told his friends, "Like I'm gonna go up to the table and tell him I'm the I'm the owner." Like, oh yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> oh, like that, that's the beauty of this time of like, I want to say like post 2016, but I feel like. Hmm. At the same time, like post 2016, I've just been introduced to like a whole new Rolodex of stereotypes for white people yeah. that I wasn't aware of. Again, as someone who fashions himself as a Caucasian anthropologist, like I'm learning a lot. I'm <laughs> like I have to I have to update how I maneuver and make fun of people because like oh oh this is what happens oh this is. Do you think that the the behavior and like the reactions and the way that white people are processing these things that have already been, have always been there. But um, do you think that that has changed post 2016 in some ways? Yes and no. Okay. Like, I feel like it's always kind of been there. It's just like, we haven't really, you know, it's just one of those things we've kind of been like, yeah, people are, People have really interesting reactions and but we're trying to like live our lives but like there's more of a more of support for like an industry around talking about these things now so we actually have some space to like unpack a little bit and some people are more aware but it, again even even in the best scenarios it's it's just uh it's just weird like I feel like I operate in a space of like a lot of white people trying and it's the spectrum of some people like, yeah, I, I see your good intention. I see you trying hard, almost too hard, maybe relax, but like there's like, I feel like a, I feel like a talent scout of like, you know, it's like the NBA draft where I'm just like, which one of these which one of these white people is going to pan out in five years to, you know, get through those growing pains and <laughs> be and be a real contributor here? And who's just going to flame out? Who's going to, you know, who am I going to regret giving that three-year contract to? Who, you know? Yeah, that's something yeah. I'm wondering. Like, so you're like good at knowing, like, oh, this white person will just like take everything I say, versus like this white person will take like three things but on the fourth thing they'll like fight back and be like no i'm over it 
and this wife person will just like argue the whole time like <laughs> you can tell <laughs> oh I, I love that description <laughs> honestly you know i'd love to talk like i've figured it out i mean I'm, I'm definitely i'm definitely still learning and you know if anyone wants to like go back through the breadcrumbs of you know white people i've tried to work with and noticeably do not work with anymore you can you can see that <laughs> I, I really in fact i actually just a, another yet another aside i very much encourage especially especially the white people around portland especially the the well-intentioned white women of portland to try that sometime just like when you're making an analysis of you know who is you know because you're like listen to black people but then there's like this there's this very this is calculation that you can see going on in their heads of like, but who is the ultimate black person to listen to? Like, I can't, I can't listen to everyone. So who, <laughs> who, who can be like my avatar for black people? How do I determine that? Like, and I feel like it's a combination of like census data, you know, criminal history, credit history, <laughs> something like that. And it's still wrong because there are, there are very documented grifters in this town who are who are thriving, must I say, just thriving right now. And I, I don't get it because shit shows keep following them everywhere they go. And like not like shit shows from 2012, although some of you, I, I remember those two. I was a reporter back then. But I'm talking about like just 2020. Oh, there like, are, are there new are there new grifters? I mean, there's some new ones, but oh. some a lot of these grifters are. They've been here. Okay. They've okay. been here. Everyone in the town knows them, which is why the only people who like keep supporting them are these legions of white women. And it's like, at what point do the other white people not notice? Like the only people who support these people still are other ones of you, like other white women kind of like looking for people to black people to listen to. <laughs> I, I think that's how white people feel comfortable is that like, oh, there's a lot of other white people in this room. So it's like, it's yeah. like good. <laughs> but it's like, but you know, what about like, uh, again, without naming specific names, there was a, was having a conversation with some people very recently where we were talking about someone whose, you know, name comes up in these conversations a lot. And as they were defending the person, they were like, you know, it's really a shame that when I when I hear people talk bad about this person, like it's usually other black women too. It's it's really weird. And I'm like, is it weird? It, I feel weird? like you got the wrong, wrong, the wrong <laughs> takeaway from that story. Yeah. If you're looking at it in the wrong order, just, just <laughs> maybe. <laughs> hmm. Black. Black woman after black woman after black woman has horror stories with said person. Mm -hmm. And your takeaway was, God, it's a shame that all these black women are putting this person, you know, holding this person back. Because all these black women, have, they've got it wrong, obviously. Yes. There's something yes. missing. <laughs> just all across, just, just all across the board, different, you know. <laughs> different industries, different crafts, different area codes. <laughs> but but we all <laughs> but it all comes back to this and you were like yeah. I mean, I was this there's, there's it's big business. If you get the right white people to support you, they are loyal. 
and you can do whatever you want with no accountability. None at all. Like I said, the, the white zombie market is great. <laughs> and I am kicking myself every day of just being like, stop having morals. Stop <laughs> with this self-awareness and trying to like, I'm not perfect. I, I fuck up all the time. I know this, but like, I try and practice some level of accountability. And it's just like, why? What, what, what is the point? No one cares. No, we're just every like, again, not to reference specific people, but it was just like every time certain people like come out with like their new initiative or their new push, you're just like, this is just hitting, like, this is hitting all the marks. This is checking off all the grifter boxes, like <laughs> down all the rhetoric, all the like, the way they fundraise, the way, the way they message, just like, this is very transparent, but but it doesn't, and it's also because again, we're from the business side, I feel like we're all, even if we don't like to admit it, to some level, we're all competing for, you know, the eyes and attention and donations of the same white zombie market, no matter how much morals we have or not. So it's like the same people who like if I say stuff like this just in general, because like I do this silly thing where I feel like if I can if I can raise some kind of awareness, maybe not like get into like the I don't want to get into like some like personal beef with anyone just because like I know how this ends. So I'm not gonna waste my time just for the entertainment of Portland. But like <laughs> if I can more generally just, you know, educate about how the grift works. And, you know, it gets responses and people are like, yeah, I love that. Like, it'd be the same white people be like, yeah, I love that. And then the grifter will come out and be like, so here's our here's our new plan of, uh, you know, here's how you can support black people or, you know, grifters are really great with like. Infographics like I, and bullet points. Yes. Infographics, are. bullet points, like making sure to like. Because again, like I, I said before, like, you know, identity is, is like a big important part of like my life and everything. But at the same time, there's a way where you just start like itemizing your different identities that feels very transparent, especially when it's in the name of fundraising that where I'm just like, I get it, but also it feels off. Like I can't. I don't want to knock the on. hustle, but at a certain point, <laughs> it is like, like how much of the grifting is actually hurting the people that you're supposed to be helping? That's the issue I have with it. That's the grift. See that? Thank you for recentering because I was about to <laughs> ramble <laughs> off into another space. And that's that's the problem with like dealing with the grift is like it always tempts you to just have all these different reactions that are just like plays into it. But yeah, when your business model of black liberation is one built I mean, on a business majority. model and black liberation that right there that's the tell in my opinion <laughs> that that is a very valid point it's a very valid point but so when your business model you know is built around this idea of black liberation but it requires one and i don't make too much of this because it's oregon and it's the same for all of us is like 
one, it requires majority, like vast majority white consumers, but two, and more importantly, it's built on stepping on other black people to win the support of those white supporters. And like consistently, like, you know, some people, you know, they're like some people, yeah, they are obstacles and they choose to, you know, be like, hey, I'm, you know, Daryl Turner. I'm <laughs> the head of the Portland Police Union. I'm the most shameless black man in Oregon. Like so, sometimes you have that. That's real. But other times when you just have people who are just like, yeah, I consistently, my consistent go-to to get your donations, to get your support is to step on other black people to win this white approval, to erase other black people, to falsely frame this issue as like, we must get the so-and-so center away from, you know, white Portland. But like, if you happen to know what's happening, the people there are also black people. And it's kind of, the, the framing is off if you actually have any idea what's happening there. And, but of course, that would require knowing what's happening and most of these people don't they're just like well you said listen to black women back in in 2020 and i have not stopped listening to you <laughs> i trust everything you say i don't care i don't care how many things may contradict it i don't care how many other black people may say they have been harmed by you personally <laughs> doesn't matter you know God, some people are going to be like, listen to this and be like, are they talking? Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you know exactly. Yeah, talking about the person you think. Yeah. Like, we're talking about. <laughs> and no, again, I'm not going to go out of my way to be like, let me do a retrospective where I put this person out, but you know, you know what it is. But yeah, just like the grift is, because part of me is just like, look, it's Oregon. I don't want to knock the hustle, right? Mm -hmm. But it's when you, you can't like do that hustle without, again, stepping on other Black people to do it. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. And it's always with some of these grifters, like if you just, you know, if you just have a grifty environment, but it's... <laughs> that's, the, it's that's the title of the show. <laughs> <laughs> environment. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you just have your grifty environment where, you know, you're doing the Kanye Sunday service thing for a bunch <laughs> of white people, but you're not, again, you're not stepping on your black peers to do it. Cool. Fine. Whatever. Live and let live. But when your business model is consistently every single time, like, it's not just like a one-off or it's like, oh, someone messed up here, messed up here, and, you know, things happen. But every single time it is stepping on other Black people to make it happen, erasing other Black people to make it happen. And it's just like, this is a problem. But also, I recognize, like, the other side of it where it's like, am I just, am I like the Jesus guy at Pioneer Square with the sign, you know, yelling about this? Because, like, it's 2022. Scammers run the culture. Like, like the, the world we live in right now is like, yeah. we romanticize grift. We love grift. Donald Trump was the president and unfortunately probably 
There are I, like five. Be a president twenty twenty four. There are five popular documentaries on either streaming platform about like well-known grifters because people want. At, at a certain point, we have to acknowledge that people like the grift. They glamour. I, mean, I think. I think this goes to the core of America because, like, the the grift is. I feel like the American story, like faking it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tinder dater, the Anna Delphi. Mm-hmm. But it all goes that, back that, for me. The Theranos chick. Yeah, but it goes back for me to like the story of Aladdin, right? Like you want to be a, pen, a prince of Agarba, you have to like pretend to be a prince of Agarba, and then you become a prince of Agarba. And I think that's like ingrained in the American mindset mythos. And you know, like you, you know, you're not trying to hate on people's grinds and not to knock another cat's swag, but is at what point does it become? If we can't beat them, join them. <laughs> but that's the question that's currently being asked right now that's the question that's okay. being asked right now is that like we, 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 we are society we're a society of grifters are we going to be the jesus on the corner saying everybody's a grifter or are we going to jump into the the grift can, wait isn't there a third option where i can be the person <laughs> just minding my business can i be that oh person? how has that been working out for you mom <laughs> oh <laughs> Look, I will end this Zoom call right now, man. Okay. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> oh, but but see that I will say though, like because so many of us, I feel like we really do try to be like, look, I see the grift. I like the grift but I get the bigger situation and how much time can I really spend, you know, trying to combat the grift. You try and mind your own business, but then the grifters, they find you. Like, I, I don't want to tell this story on this. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, you do. Do I? I mean, <laughs> when, cause like, okay. So with like the respond to racism, LO stuff, right? You know, we do our numbers and stuff, and it like it looks good, especially applying for grants and all that. But I don't take for granted that you know, again, that same sort of dynamic I talked about earlier, where like people need to see the white validation in the numbers and then who covers you and all that stuff before they give you attention. Like that's still the case. So, you know, I remember just in one particular case where. Where people do, you know, do events, do demonstrations in Portland, they decided to like come out to LO to do this thing. And it's like, cool, cool. But, you know, I feel like, I don't know, there's like some kind of like decorum of, you know, wouldn't you reach out to the people who are doing, you know, who are doing the work, who've kind of like some established some of the work in the city? Like, it's, you know, if you have the ability, if you have the access, if you have the connections, they did to do that. Like, isn't that a thing? But no, 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 no. Like, they they start off with like you know some flyer. You know, like the word provocative gets thrown around, but it's like, yeah, you know, let's let's fuck shit up in LO. We're we're coming out there. Like, cool, cool. So we should we should talk. Like, you know, just basically like, hey. By the way, we're out here. Cool. Like, I'm down with it. I don't really have love for this town, but also, you know, they're different groups. There's you know, groups of 
other like black people, especially who are like older and, you know, somewhat concerned, <laughs> you know, if anyone in the name of them is like, we're going to fuck shit up in LO. And it's like, eh, maybe we should like make some like connection to them and like, you know, at least so, you know, they don't have to like take all the shit for you <laughs> just like coming through town. Right. You know, something simple, but then no, no, it's like, oh, what, what are you talking about? It was weird. We're doing this. Uh, we're coming here. You know, you should like essentially like roll out the red carpet for us to be here. It's like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. Right. Right. Maybe. No. Okay. And then you get there on the day of the event and the person who started this in a soul train line of all white women, all white women is out there like dancing for the news cameras. Like, I'm not exaggerating any of this. This is there. <laughs> and you're just like, I know how this is gonna get covered after the fact. And I'm not gonna go out of my way to like shit on it in the moment because about you know don't knock the hustle or for at least part don't empower these weirdo white people in LO with like this sort of like tension or whatever. But also you are dancing in a circle of white women right now for white news cameras and making this all all about you and this community where we've actually like laid some foundations and done work in and you don't give two shits about any of the people in the community because you're not even trying like when they're trying to like connect with you to at least make a connection you're not doing that and it's just like again it's one of those situations where it's like there's got to be a better way to do this there's got to be but also you don't give a shit so why am I even trying to do this in a better way right and you have you know those instances where people make it real difficult to try and do something that should be simple. Like we have this opportunity to build some community with each other, but everyone's focused on the show. Everyone's focused on the performance mm -hmm. and it's a performance that you can't help. But like if your eyes are open, the audience is mostly white people. Something is wrong with this picture. Mm -hmm. This isn't like, and again, like you're just, you're erasing people, you're stepping on people, you're trying to like, you know, I don't know. I would, anyone who, if someone's listening to this is familiar with the event, they'll know what I'm talking about. I don't need to <laughs> reference the specific, but it's like, motherfuckers came and went, we ate shit for it for months afterwards because we tried to do the thing of like, you know, not even playing in the middle of like, because there are people from like the organization who were there, supported. My mom spoke at this thing. Like, I personally just was like, I, I see this person dancing and surrounded by white people. I got to go. I, I can't. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it's like, we tried to be supportive. We tried to like, you know, speak for the concerns of both, you know, some of the older people in the community, but as well as like, like yeah, no, we're not gonna be like no you can't come out into our town and all like no we support you coming out here doing your thing too like we are supposed to be a community together we're supposed to like bridge some of these geographic economic gaps and whatnot but 
like you just leave us to like hold the bag you know eat the shit whatever whatever metaphor you want to use for that like i know what that is that's just like and in the name of like in the name of supporting black people in lo you shit on the black people in lo what is that what is <laughs> so yeah uh grifters are fun grifters are <laughs> love uh love the hold they have on the world and especially loud persistent loyal obnoxious white women who will defend them at all costs and make sure their operations keep going and growing and you know good for them good for them i'm happy that they have found a way to thrive in 2022 don't i that's i sound enthusiastic don't i <laughs> like Somewhere, if I if I were disconnected from it, I feel like I could be like, oh, what a story, what a, I mean, what a success. I have, <laughs> I have this theory that within that particular industry, which, which I like to call the DEI grifter, um, <laughs> yes, I, that they're the ones chosen because their resolutions are palatable, right? They offer an opportunity to feel like you're doing some good without actually having to change anything in your life. And I don't think any other model of black liberation can offer that in good faith. So it's easy, right? That's, I mean, that's the thing like, just like working in communications that you realize is, you know, simplicity wins. Like what is the easiest, you know, what are the easiest talking points to remember? What are the solutions that bring the, you know, most instant gratification, mm -hmm. you know, what fills, you know, these things like, you know, does this, does this fill your desire for social capital, right? You know, does it, you know, make you feel better? Can you, you know, is this an easy task? Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm, if I'm asking you, okay, I need you to attend or watch or whatever, these city council meetings, just like this specific subgroup. I need you to organize a group around that. And I need you to be an on your toes thinker and you know, monitor, bring that information back process. Like that's too much. But if I tell you to come to this march and take pictures so you can prove to other people that you were at this march, boom. If I tell you to donate to this thing, boom, you can do that. Like if I give you something simple and you know, I really just wrap it up in like you know again that just that rhetoric that again just feels super revolutionary but you know if you unpack or just pull a few strings here it's like mm, no mm, no this is uh you're just you're this is performance art like that's <laughs> you know like but if i if i can provide that for you and Again, I try and hold two different minds because it's like, do I operate in this space? I do, I get DEI gigs. So it's like, I'm working with the same audience. Like <laughs> I'm working to some level of the same, you know, same dynamic. So, you know, for as much of my criticisms of like the very just shameless grifters as I have, you know, I've, I realize I realize where I am. I realize what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So, but again, it just comes back to what we're saying. It's like, I don't have to knock the hustle, but it's like, 
if your business model is built on stepping on other black people to make it happen, that's where we have the problem. I can't regulate everything. I don't, can't purify the industry or whatever. I don't, I don't care to, but just like, I, if we're just modeling and normalizing like anti-blackness in a different, you know, a different, um, a different like casing or whatever, that shit isn't cool. It's like, oh, we put a bunch of black liberation rhetoric around it, but it's still built on harming other black people. It's still built on erasing other black people. It's still built on all these same things we're used to. Mm-hmm. But we lift up this one. Oh, no, that's, and I, you know, again, like I said, I feel like the Jesus person, you know, at the square because what what am I doing? I'm I'm yelling about this. I'm trying to do this thing in a culture that literally this is what's running the culture. This is what the people sound like. This is you know I don't know. Maybe this I make it too personal sometimes, but like the thing that bothers me isn't even like the grifters themselves. It's like the people, particularly like young black people who like they believe that shit and they follow them and they're the ones who because the grifter has no shame so anything you say about them like it doesn't matter but like there are people who actually do take the shit for them and you know it's it's not it's not hard to see it's like oh why haven't i heard from that person in so long i I remember i used to hear from this person all the time i used to see this person out all the time how did I wonder how they could have ever gotten so disillusioned and what is this pattern of disillusionment of people that keep working with these same people how does this keep happening I just, I just don't know god it's, it's a damn shame that it's just all black people that just seem to keep having a problem I just don't know what's wrong like but you just see it all the time you see people who have to like like their credibility actually does matter to what they're trying to do and how they're trying to move going forward. But because we've normalized how this works, or we've normalized that, you know, if you want to get success in 2022, that this is how you have to move and this is how you have to formulate your fundraising. This is how you have to interact with other people and peers in your field because this grifter is seeing this success and this grifter is being idolized everywhere you see. And then again, they just get just people who like learn and get weaned on these bad habits and they take all the shit for it. (laughs) And like that, you just see this cycle. You see this, it's like, it's almost tragic when you see, you know, when you see like teenage, like amateur grifters, (laughs) like. Oh my. I mean, because it's the same. And I, I don't think it's, you know, it's done with the same like you know intent or spirit or whatever but it's just like this is this is how you were kind of like uh taught this is this area or this space works and this is the where you've seen people have success so you model yourself after that but what no one is telling you or you know you haven't been able to connect with the right people yet to realize 
this is some bullshit. This is this is grifter like and if you want to like if you just want to be a professional grifter fine like this is great but like if you actually want to like have some credibility or like you know all these people you haven't met yet who are in your space who you actually should know and want to have like some legitimacy with like if you want to actually be able to like have relationships with them like you can't move like this but you have no idea because you've been indoctrinated in grift (laughs) it's like I don't know like it it's like I feel like I see people just like setting themselves up for failure they don't realize you mm-hmm. know yeah so that's my uh it's my PSA on <laughs> on uh black DI grift in Portland don't, you know say save the children save the children don't let them don't let them become grifters or at least if they do you know make sure they know what they're doing so they can, you know, be sustainable with it. It's a terrible lesson. (laughs) (laughs) So let's, let's pivot. Let's talk about something fun. Um, What are you watching these days? We've already talked about Star Wars and Star Trek, but what else? (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. So after after DS9, I was kind of, I was in a space of like, you know, I feel like it's really insensitive to like make heroin illusions in 2022. So, and I'd say that it's really insensitive. So I just make a heroin illusion, but I, I add a disclaimer to it. So it's responsible. Anyways, I feel, but I feel like I was just like, oh my goodness, what am I, what am I going to do? I've had, I've had DS9, what? I need something else, science fiction, but what? And I know most people will be thinking, you know, there, there are other uh, Star Trek series. You, you, you could watch those. You could just, you could keep it going. <laughs> or I could, I had some friends who have recommended watching The Expanse for a while. So it's like, you know what? Yeah. Fuck it. I, let's watch The Expanse. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if y'all have watched The Expanse. Okay, now. Um, it's all right. Like it's, I can describe it as like, I watch it. There are things happening. I feel like I kind of understand the plot or what's happening, but I'm just kind of like sitting there through it. And then like a major, like, you know, solar system shattering event will happen. And I'll just be like in for like three episodes and then spend like the next like season or two just being like things are happening things are happening but I'm almost through season five right now so I can tell you like it hasn't stopped me right so uh yeah I've been watching The Expanse and you know also been better or worse they got me with the Kanye documentary I never listened to like the albums but the documentary got me so um I've seen um, the first two parts of the series. I haven't seen the last one. Um, it feels, the documentary feels in terms of when it dropped, it feels a little calculated um, in regards to what Kanye is doing right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm trying really hard to separate the documentary from the artist who we <laughs> Yeah, I'll just say without 
spoiling too much, I feel like part three will um, part three will bring things a little more <laughs> up to date. But I will say, because you know, like the first two, I don't know, Max, have you watched it all? I've watched the first one. I haven't seen the other uh, two yet. Okay, yeah, like the first the first two episodes are really like college dropout mm-hmm. focused, and like it really, you know, like it takes you back into that time. Yeah, and like I, I admit that like they got me not like to the point like of some people I see on like Twitter who are like, how dare you ever say anything about Kanye after this documentary has made me like calm down. Two things can be true at the same time. Like, college dropout touched my life too. It really did. Also, all this weird shit he's been doing is weird shit he's been doing and should be held accountable for. Both things can be true. But um, yeah, like, you know, just say with like those first two episodes, it's just like, oh yeah. I, well, one, just like the, again, the copywriter in me is just like, oh god this makes perfect sense like yeah yeah the music was cool too but like he just like he beat that horse to death when it comes to just like that underdog story like in journalism you know we learned like seven different types of stories underdog was a big one or whatever so it was just like they wouldn't sign me they wouldn't listen to me i went into the office and played jesus walks 13 different times and all the doors are open so everyone heard it every time but they ignored me and also watching people react to that on Twitter being like, how would, how did you listen to that and not be moved? I'm like, he's in an office with everyone. Okay. I, I I remember when people started dropping that clip on the Twitter and they were commenting on the woman who was listening to it, like, and who seemed nonplussed. But I'm like, if I'm in my office doing my job, some joker comes in here and tries to play this song 12, 13 times. He's lucky that that's the only reaction he gets. Yeah, like, that's actually the positive reaction. Because, like, most of the people who probably did that, like, their shit was trash and they got thrown out. <laughs> like, the fact that someone was like, you know what? I hate that you're doing this, but I'm going to tolerate it means you've got like, you gotta be relative. But again, we're talking about the Kanye ego here. So none of that makes sense, but like, yeah, it's just, okay. He went office to office, played Jesus walks 8 million times, played all falls down 8 million times. And like, I don't know. I remember college dropout when it came out, like, on my list of like favorite songs on college dropout, like all falls down was not there. So like, even if I was there at the time. Some of the lyrics of all all falls down don't really hold up in terms of the portrayals of women. If we want to be really real about it. So yeah. Shocking. Shocking. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, like, at the same time, in spite of all of that, yeah, it, it like hooks you in, right? Yeah. Like it, you know, you get in the spirit, you get in the music, you feel it again. You see, seeing those clips of like Kanye in the studio, especially with like, you know, Yasin Bey and Talib Kweli and all that. Pharrell. Like the people, yeah. Like playing, you know, playing through the wire for Pharrell, like, like that's, yeah, it's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. It gets you at the same time. Again, it does not, you know, does not excuse the shit happening now. It does, you know, it doesn't. Uh, they don't talk about 
um, his history of misogyny and anti-blackness, um, which were also simultaneously occurring during that time. So, yeah. but like in terms of looking at the production of his albums, it is fascinating. Like, yeah. that's it. <laughs> like, <No. laughs> college, oh, dropout, college Dropout is, we can say what we want to say, but College Dropout is a fucking classic. I love that album still. Like I have a lot of nostalgia attached to that album. It hit me at a certain time in my life. Um, and at the time when that came out, he was presenting like a new face of rap, like in a really interesting way. And you can't really discount that, right? But I would like just to follow up on that point, because you're talking about like 2004 college dropout comes out the year before was get rich or die trying oh. everywhere. It's not just like, it's not just like Kanye was a new face. Kanye was a new face coming a year off of 50 Cent blowing up. Mm. Like, and I, I say this again, as you know, uh, what get rich or die trying came out when I was in eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So like, I remember just being, especially being in like rites of passage where I was in a group in Portland. So, you know, again, Hello, kid, but in group mm -hmm. like kids from a bunch of different like PPS schools and whatnot, mm -hmm. seeing the cult like the culture shift was palpable <laughs> of from 50 cent one year to like, oh, we're and also the thing that a lot of people like discount because you know Lupe also started blowing up that time. And you know, we all we think about Kanye because of course Kanye is huge, but it was kind of like a combination of, you know, oh, wow, a lot of, you know, like, a lot of my peers are suddenly open about the fact that they also watch, you know, I say also watch anime, like I watched anime like that. No, I watched Dragon Ball Z. I feel like that's different. <laughs> like, yeah. it's anime, but like, I can't be like, oh, I was an old school anime. Head. I, I watched Dragon Ball Z. Like, I feel like a lot of people would just throw me out a window <laughs> but but to say that like oh people are like oh yeah my peers also like oh they watch anime they like skateboards are actually like not like they are allowed and all that and then kanye is in the same vein where it's like oh we're doing backpacks now we're like this conscious shit is actually like we can make it commercial you know like there's a huge culture shift the music is powerful like the story is even if like even if this guy is obnoxious, the story still works. Like, like I'm gonna be honest. Like I've listened to the college dropout. Just been like a weird college drop, not weird, but like a college dropout phase because of this documentary. Mm -hmm. These last couple of weeks, like I'm not even talking about like the hits. I'm talking about like listening to Last Call, where is seven minutes of him just telling the story. <laughs> But because of this documentary, it's this interesting uh, dichotomy where, because the documentary is like last call, except like from someone else's perspective and especially those two episodes, like, okay, what if we did last call, but it was from the filmmaker's perspective and it was three hours, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? But even that of just like, like I think about things that have, worked with me or like artists who are more local who have done stuff where I'm like oh man that's that's like innovative or like 
who who's just gonna like do a whole track where it's not a track they're just they're just ranting about stuff but it kind of works it was like oh yeah that's right he did that on the college dropout that and it did it did yeah huh. Huh. you know well, i think one of the most underrated songs ever is spaceship like i love that song that song spoke to me like he's working this dead-end job couldn't get ahead could, like had to make his art in off time like i related to that song in that time of my life and it i didn't hear anything else on the radio that sounded like that so yeah i mean he's a questionable human being that cannot be denied <laughs> And I will never defend him. And I think a lot of Black people are still very hurt by Kanye and some of the shenanigans he's pulled in the last few years, rightly so to some degree. But yeah, if I'm looking at the album, I am interested in the story of that album and you know, pretty much everything before Yeezus. So like... <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like, I think with, uh, especially with part three, I think that's the other interesting story about this. Mm -hmm. is like the people in Kanye's sphere like especially Cootie who's like doing the documentary yeah. who you know at least for the purposes of like if you're looking at him as a narrator through it you're like he seems pretty level he seems pretty pretty grounded pretty about the things like and you have you know these other people whether it be John Legend or Ryan Fest or Common or, you know Talib you know Yassi etc cetera, etc cetera, mm -hmm. where like I'm like it feels, you know, obviously there's been stories throughout Kanye's entire, you know, since he's been mainstream, since he blew up, where it's like, yeah, the people around him can only keep him in some space, but so much. Yeah. But like there's this constant stream, and I, I get it to some degree. Like I think it was like Big Sean or someone who's like, Yeah, I don't I don't fuck with what he's doing, but also you gotta understand, like this man may or may not have made my whole career so I do feel some kind of like loyalty to him and I see him you know in every day beyond like the sound bites and everything but at the same time it's just like and it, even in the documentary I don't think it explores it enough but just that that push and pull between these people who we as general public still have respect for you know who seem to for all intents and purposes be you know people who are like you know honorable move through the world mm. in the way we would like to see and you know they haven't like completely like cut Kanye out of their lives and it looks like they are genuinely trying to like you know check up on him in a way of like I I care about you and I want you to you know but also like it's clearly not working yeah. <laughs> and you know at any any moment there's an opportunity for things to go wild like I mean even with the documentary it feels like it, you, you get these cuts of like so yeah everything was going well and I, I saw him here and everything was great and then then I turned on the news two weeks later and I saw, saw this like there's a lot of that where it's just like in part um, oh. yeah part part three okay. especially that again without it's not like we, we know all these things that have happened but so I can't I'm not really like spoiling things but right. at the same time like yeah part three is a lot of a lot of a uh, wow uh but I want to check up on him I want to make sure I, I want to respect like I understand you you try and play this 
character on the screen, you say, or whatever, but I want to check up on you as a friend and I want to help you. I just want to be there for you. And even like, I, I feel weird about Cootie. If I, I will be honest with you watching this, because I'm like, like you feel Cootie should have stepped in and like done something. I'm not even sure if he should have stepped in and done something, but I feel like, like the framing of like, oh, you know, uh, we haven't talked in like several years. And, you know, you, last time I saw you, you literally didn't remember my name for this interview we're doing on screen. <laughs> like, uh, not to give too much away, but in part three, they have a thing like right after late registration where he's interviewing him. Mm-hmm. And cause it's like Cootie and Chike, right? And he keeps calling him Chike like, oh. like several times just in a row. Like it, it's very clear. Like, this is not like, oh, I'm just trying to be cheeky on camera or anything. It's like, yeah, I just, I confuse you with the other guy who, you know, was documenting my whole career <laughs> like two years ago. So, yeah, it's just like <laughs> people making constantly, like, they're trying to make space for Kanye's humanity and trying to be supportive but like they can't hold him accountable. And when he, you know, asks them for like, hey, can you come and document my thing? They're like, yep, I'll be on the first plane over. And I'm like, you know, I get it. I get it 2002, I get it 2003, I get it 2008. In 2017? 2008 is still a little, (laughs) but like, but but in 2017, yeah. if just even just from like a personal ego standpoint like especially if you've gone through this experience of like you know Jesus walks was this big deal and you made this big point about like you got to actually get hype Williams not me to do Jesus walks and all this and your career is increasingly going towards this point of like I got to get other people like it was cool thank you for all you've done but let me get these bigger people to do the things like, at what point in your mind would you be like, is this man not reaching out to me because everyone else said no? Like, oh, is I that, see. I don't know, that that's the first thing my mind went where it's like, oh, you want to, like, because I get it, like, if someone calls out and it's like, hey, I want to fly you out to Japan to shoot this thing. Like, one hand, you're like, ooh, fly me out to Japan, but also by the pattern of how you move, something tells me I can't be your first ask for this. Mm. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, I'm because the only people who will stand by you anymore are like, you know, the people who were there from the beginning. And that's, you know, that's touching and adorable in one way, but also like very transparently manipulative in another. Now I just need to finish the, the trilogy. <laughs> I'm probably gonna watch the third one this weekend, but yeah, like soon as this, soon as we finish this episode, I'm gonna. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm assuming <laughs> does it stay centered on like his musical career? Doesn't go too much into his personal life, I imagine, right? Uh, no, no, it definitely goes into. Okay. Part three definitely goes into. Yeah, these last few years, like yeah, it goes. There's the music, there's, you know, apparel, clothing, and building that brand, but then, you know, it doesn't get, like, super deep into 
the Kardashian stuff, but it does definitely get into, you know, him going out and his political um, antics. And yes. So uh, I imagine that TMZ clip is in there. Yeah, not not as much as you would think, but it's in there. Uh, yeah, his his trip to the White House, the that one concert where he announces, where he essentially announces that you know he's down with Trump and that you know all the rest of y'all are scared to say this, but I'm out here. And then the fact that he gets you know checked into <laughs> checked into the hospital shortly after that. Yeah, yeah, it goes through goes through all that so three is going to be rough and i need a drink is what you're telling me yes because the first two i was pleasantly surprised at how like i don't they were just clearly just focused on you know his transition from like this kind of working producer to this artist and it only sort of started going into his superstardom like when two left off so yeah Three, okay. three might hurt your spirit a little bit. Oh, <laughs> oh no! Oh, no. <laughs> just gonna, just gonna throw that out there right now, so no one can say that I, I set you up for, <laughs> set you up to be disappointed. Like, I mean, it was hard enough watching, you know, Donda in there, and like just the way that she talked to Kanye and their relationship. It, it let me know that it's it's it appeared that she was the only one in his life that really understood how fragile he was, just the way that she talked to him. I don't know. I, I think that's a that's pretty accurate because I definitely got the same yeah. the same feel. Just like oh, um, you know, wow. But also, yeah, when everyone you know at the time when she passed, when you know people were saying, I, I don't know how Kanye is going to react to this. Is this going to be you know? How disastrous could this? It's, a, it's an interesting take to be like, oh, someone's died. So how disastrous can this be for someone's yeah, uh, musical output? But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fuck that. But I mean, yeah. the speculation wasn't exactly off in retrospect. Like yeah. things have not. Um, yeah, things have not. Uh, things have not gotten better since then. <laughs> I mean, have you heard the latest stunt he has pulled? Is this, is this the music video? Yes, it's the music video. Have you heard about this, Max? No, I don't know if I've heard about this. I, I haven't watched it, so... I haven't watched it either. I'm not going to watch it, but he did <laughs> the music video, and I think it's like stop-motion claymation right. where he buries um, Pete alive. Ski... Don't 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 don't, 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 don't enable that bullshit. <laughs> okay. Oh god. No, it's it's oh, really fucked up about like how Pete, uh, what's his last name? Davidson. Uh, Davidson. Davidson like has a history of mental um <sighs> issues himself, suicidal ideation. He's dealt with like drug abuse. Um, and the way Kanye is going after him, not to mention the way he's been going after you know, his ex-wife, it's, it's really just violent and fucked up. And this does not end well, unless somebody stops him. Seriously. Uh, it's I was someone the other day, like, I feel like Kanye is really going out there for like the OJ trophy of like the, you know, the American tale, like <laughs> up at, at this point, you know, OJ had really just won like, oh, star athlete. 
Like everyone's watching him, like clearly being abusive to his wife. Oh, he act or he allegedly murdered her and her boyfriend, and he got away with murder. He he by embracing his blackness. What the like all this stuff? And it was just like, what's gonna top that? And Kanye was like, hold on. First off, let me give you. Let me just give you a couple generations of the music that will, you know, define your life. Here, here you go. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, now, while I'm doing that, especially when it starts kind of lagging a little bit, let me just go off all the ways, you know, let me, you know, to, you know, bring a, for a continuity with the OJ story, let me, let me marry into the Kardashians. That, that would be great. And then let's watch this all fall apart in a very publicly like, cause that, that's the thing that's weird about me. Like, again, like I haven't watched the video. I don't plan to, but just like, you know, you scroll through and you see people defending it. And it's oh, just wait, like, there are people defending it. Oh, of course. Oh no. Uh, of course. No, I saw one was like Cardi B has said that she drugged and robbed people, but Kanye cuts off someone's head in a in a video <laughs> and you're mad huh like uh uh oh god why but yeah yeah so people are like oh it's not that bad it's fine what are you talking about it's like there's a history you know it's hip-hop people have said wild shit in videos people have made wild videos and it's like um weren't there consequences so, for a yeah, little yeah. remember, remember that time when tupac was like yeah but i fucked your wife yo like people died after that i think that was bad i i, I don't think that ended well I, maybe things went wrong maybe but it was a but it was Shug night right yeah, Shug- wait what well, we are not doing this now we are not <laughs> here i'm not trying to get jumped by somebody okay <laughs> calm down oh man oh man I love that. We're just like, hey, hey, hey. There's certain names we don't say. No, they're like, don't don't evoke the. Mm, mm. <laughs> There's all like, the you. Thank you for your contribution to music and black ownership. Thank you. Um, I'll, I'll calm down. <laughs> um. No, but like, yeah. That's not a valid argument because, again, there were repercussions. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I do have to say from, I've only seen the first uh, chapter, but something I'm, like, I'm always reminded of when I see like Kanye for like an extended amount of time, he is such a Gemini. <laughs> this is like such Gemini like behavior so much of this. <laughs> but... <laughs> uh. Hello, Maximiliano here. Hasn't that been a great episode with Bruce Poinsett? We had so much fun that we ended up dividing the episode into two parts. So come back next time for part two of our conversation with Bruce Poinsett. Yo, Chief, they can't stop me from rapping, can they? Can they hop? I spit it through the wire, man. Too much stuff on my heart right now, man. I gladly risk it all right now.
life or death situation, man. Y'all, y'all, y'all don't really understand how I feel right now, man. It's your boy Kanye Titter. Shot Town, what's going on? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. I drink a moose for breakfast, an insure for dessert. Somebody order pancakes, I just sip the scissor. That right there could drive a sane man bizzard. Not to worry, Mr. Ace to the Izzles back to wizard. How do you console my mom? Or give a light support. Telling her son's own life support. And just imagine how my girl feel. On the plane, scared as hell that a guy looked like Emmett Till. She was with me before the deal. She been trying to be mine. She a Delta, so she been throwing that dynasty sign. No use me trying to be lying. I've been trying to be signed. Trying to be a millionaire. How I use two lifelines in the same hospital. With Biggie Smalls died The doctor said I had blood clots But I ain't Jamaican man Story on MTV And I ain't trying to make a band I swear this right here History in the making man I really apologize to everyone right now If, if it's unclear at all man They got my mouth wired shut for like I don't know the doctor said like six weeks You know he had reconstruct I had reconstructive surgery on my jaw I looked in the mirror Half of my jaw was in the back of my mouth man I couldn't believe it I'm still here for y'all right now, man. This is what I got to say right here, dog. Yeah. Turn me up, yeah. Uh. What if somebody from the shadow was ill? Got a deal on the hottest rap label of Brown. But he wasn't talking about coke and birds, it was more like spoken word. Except he's really putting it down. And he explained the story about how blacks came from glory and what we need to do in the game. Good dude, bad night, right place, wrong time. In the blink of an eye, his whole life changed. If you could feel how my face felt, you would know how Mace felt. Thank God I ain't too cool for the safe belt. I swear where the guy drive a two on a sue I got a lawyer for the case to keep us in my safe Safe, my dogs couldn't tell if I I look like Tom Cruise on Vanilla Sky It was televised It's been an accident like Geico They thought I was burned up like Pepsi did Michael I must got an angel Cause look how death missed his ass Unbreakable, what you thought they call me Mr. Glass Look back on my life like the ghost of Christmas past Toys at Russ where I used to spend that Christmas cash And I still won't grow up I'm a grown ass kid Swear I should be locked up for stupid sh** that I did But I'm a champion So I turn tragedy to triumph Make Music that's fire, spit yeah. my soul through the wire. Woo. You know what I'm saying? When the doctor told me I had a um, I was gonna have to have a plate in my chin. I said, dog, don't you realize I'm never making on a plane now? It's bad enough I got all this jewelry on. She can't be serious, man. <laughs>